0: What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Sports Chronicles. On today's episode, I'm joined by Harmon Dial. He is a staff writer for the Athletic Vancouver, covering the Vancouver Canucks. In this episode, I chat with Harmon about his journey into sports media, covering the Vancouver Canucks, this year's Vancouver Canucks team, the plethora of young talent, and where he thinks this team can go in this year's Stanley Cup Playoffs. The Wii Sports Chronicles is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. I know it's been a while, but sit back and relax and enjoy this episode with Harmon Dial on the Wii Sports Chronicles. Well... The reason why I'm having you on is because, of course, hockey's back, which is obviously so exciting with, you know, given everything that's going on right now to have hockey back. But the Vancouver Canucks in their 50th season as a franchise to be in the playoffs and to be producing, I think, the most exciting first-round series against the St. Louis Blues. What's it been like to cover this team in such a strange season?
1: Yeah, it's been such an up and down year uh, for the Canucks. Obviously, they came into the season. Um, th- there was a, a still anticipation some sense of trying to figure out what this team was capable of. I think the, uh, the big question going into the year was whether the team was good enough to make the playoffs or not. Uh, after some of the key acquisitions in the summer, uh, like Tyler Myers, Michael Furland, and of course, uh, the most notable one, JT Miller. And um, those guys, uh, my, uh, Miller in particular, just seemed to gel right away. And, and Vancouver was off to such a hot start. And, and they hit a, hit a bit of a wall in November and December. But um, it, it was just uh, a season for them marked by ups and downs. I mean, right before um, the pandemic hit, they were kind of sliding close to almost falling, falling out, of, out of a playoff position. And um, so now you had the four, four and a half month layoff. Uh, going into the playing series against Minnesota, and then the Canucks just had a really convincing showing there against one of the NHL's better five-on-five teams um, to advance to the uh, to St. Louis to play against the play against the defending Cup champions, and then um, in this series, it's been absolutely phenomenal to see the way that Vancouver has stepped up to the occasion here. Uh, they've given the Blues uh, a serious run for their money, obviously up two-one in the series, but uh, just the fact that uh, the two games that they have won it's it's not even a case where uh they've been outplayed kind of on the ropes and it's been goaltending that's bailed them out uh the the team as a whole has really uh come alive they're driving play and and i think they deserve to win the first couple of games so uh it's setting up to be uh, a really fascinating series as you mentioned one of the most exciting first round matchups uh in the NHL right now and uh for the canucks it's uh it's it's excellent for this market because first first time making playoffs since 2015
0: Um, it's been a a long long time since the city saw playoff hockey well and they haven't won a playoff series since their stanley cup final run in 2011 so for the fan base it it certainly is exciting Exciting, but but when you just look to me Harmon, at this team and in this first round playoffs you know you have no connor mcdavid you have no austin matthews no Sidney crosby but I think Bull Horvat's really established himself and 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 I look at him as not only just, you know, a, a fantastic offensive player, but a leader as well, and, and to me very deserved of the, the, the C on his jersey. What's his growth been like this year and, and what have your thoughts been on his ability to raise his game in the playoffs thus far? Absolutely. I mean, to just to
1: touch on the latter point you mentioned, uh, you look at Horvat's track record going back to juniors, uh, 16 goals in 21 games for the London Knights to win OHL playoff MVP um, in his first season as a rookie. Um, it was 2015 when the Canucks played the Flames in the first round, and Horvat was just starting out. He was a fourth line center playing limited minutes, um, and he was our be the most dynamic forward on that team and, and he put up four points in six games there and, and that was another sign and then to see him come alive in the playoffs now uh last i checked his six goals lead the nhl um you can clearly see uh, an example of a player who raises his game w- when uh each contest matters the most when the stakes are the highest and um that speaks volumes to why he has this year on his jersey and when you look at his progression in his career arc since entering the nhl it's been uh, an almost linear progression for him in, in terms of improvement. Um, every year since his rookie one, he's improved his point per game pace. Um, his his 2 way game, his 2 way profile has steadily sort of um, improved over time. And obviously over the last couple of years, he's uh, taken on the mantle as the Canucks' number one matchup center. Uh, so just a ton of growth in his game over time and, and absolutely deserving of that C when you consider the role that he has as a leader in that locker room. The guys really look up to him. And he's not the most vocal guy, but, I mean, we hear that cliche of, of leading by example. And, and when I talk to guys on that team, they say, uh, you know, you can talk as cheap. It's, it's the actions that back it up. And that's exactly what you get with Horvat in terms of his preparation. Uh, there's, there's no one on that team who hates losing more than Horvat. Um, he can be vocal when, when, when the team needs a bit of a kick in behind. Um, just, just a complete package and, and the absolute perfect center to
0: have. Uh, behind Elias Pettersson as, uh, as the club's second-line center. And speaking of Elias Pettersson, we saw that wicked shot of his that just you know, gets social media drooling. What's something about Elias Harmon that many people may not know, but that just makes him such an interesting personality or player on this team? Yeah,
1: it, it, it's really interesting because what I've noticed in, in sort of being around him quite often uh, and just watch his progression, he has a quiet intensity to him. Um, it's, it's one of those situations where I think people don't realize like they might look at this guy and say he's slim, small, slight. A lot, there were a lot, a lot of weight concerns when he was drafted. But you look at the way he's just competed in these playoffs, going into the dirty areas, winning puck battles below the boards, constantly moving away from the puck, and not getting frustrated at all by all the physical attention he's gotten. I mean, he's right up there among the points leaders with 9 or 10, um, and he's been shadowed the entire way, whether it's been against Minnesota or, or against St. Louis. And so for him to battle through that adversity, we hear about the playoffs just being this physical grind. And it's just how hard Pedersen is working away from the puck too. Um, the full 200 uh, foot defensive game. And I think it's those details that allow him to be so successful offensively because he's just he's he's driven in a way that I just don't see it in other athletes. It's it's kind of amazing. He's got this uh, again, it's just kind of hard to explain if you if you're not around him every, every day just this quiet intensity that you can feel it when you're around him. When, when you enter the locker room um, after a game they've lost, he's, he's, he's stuck in his own mind, right? Like just processing what he could have done better. And uh, he's just someone who wants to rise to the occasion. I mean, we talked about Horvath. That's ex- That exactly applies to Pedersen as well. Uh, and again, it's just the hard work away from the puck, his commitment to the defensive side of the game, And then just the fact that he doesn't back down physically, like he's a strong, strong dude. Um, Despite what the narrative might, uh,
0: might lead you to believe uh, about his weight and his size. Well, I think you made a really interesting point about the play away from the pocket. I think that's what has impressed me about Vancouver in, in these first three games. Of course, as this episode's recording game four will be played uh, Monday night. And when it's released, it'll be, you know, after game four, but, just their ability to play from the puck because St. Louis is a heavy team. They you know they're looking to wear teams down and, and use their physicality to really dictate the play, but I've just been very impressed with how Vancouver has just been able to combat that with just their their speed and skill and, and and as you said, just their ability to not be afraid to go into those dirty areas and, and make something happen.
1: For sure and that's part of I think what Travis green wants the identity of his team to be not just the speed and skill aspect. And stylistically, uh, I mean, you see the high end talent on Vancouver's roster, but relative to a club like uh, Vegas or Colorado, I actually think St. Louis matches up better uh, for Vancouver stylistically, because when you look at, these um, sort of heavy physical games where you have to earn every inch I think that's actually like when Vancouver is engaged and uh, emotionally and physically I think that's actually when they play some of their better hockey relative to again if they played the avalanche and they're trading chances back and forth I don't think they necessarily have the depth um, both up front and on the blue line to sort of play that sort of um, quick strike game where you're trading chances with the powerhouse especially when you look at Vancouver over the course of the regular season and you see their and you see their results and how they've kind of struggled to contain teams off the rush I think uh, these types of games against St. Louis suit the Canucks a lot better um, and I think that's what you've seen so far
0: through the uh, first three games. How big is this playoffs been for the growth of someone like Quinn Hughes because this is someone who's just a rookie so this is just you know he's just soaking this experience in like a sponge we've already seen him make you know you know a huge play with that bank pass in game two leading to Horvat's overtime goal but it just seems to me Harmon that he's just you know his ability to just make you know we know of his ability offensively but he he's getting better defensively. And I think, you know, the size was obviously a concern with him coming into the league, but through the th- first three games that I've seen, he can, you know, block a shot. He can make that right pass in his own zone. So what are your thoughts been on, on Quinn Hughes thus far?
1: He's been an absolute game changer for Vancouver since day one. And again, you talk about how Hughes's impact on the game transcends what he's able to produce offensively because uh, you even just look at the five-on-five numbers in the regular season, and and the thing about Hughes is because of his elite puck-moving ability, uh, the team just spends almost no time in 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 its defensive end. And when you talk about what's what's the best way to stop the opposition from scoring, well, it helps being 200 feet away from your from your defensive goal. So that's uh, th- that's I think the way that Hughes is able to um, ironically defend so well is is simply he doesn't spend time in his own end and um, he makes it hard for the opposition to establish his own time um, I mean you see four checkers in game three was the first time I've ever seen him take a real big hit um, off the four check he's just so elusive with the skating and his edge work that um, it's it's incredibly difficult to catch him no matter how good of a team you are at tracking defensemen down and retrieving pucks um, in the offensive zone. And, and again, Hughes' ability to help transport the puck up the ice, it's almost like it doesn't matter what the other nine skaters are doing on either, either side. He's just going to push play. You look at the, at, at the scoring chances against rates, the shots against rates, they're very low um, relative to what you might expect. And I think that's been the key to his success. I think Travis Green has recognized that. And it's why uh, since mid-November, Hughes has taken the mantle um, and played in that shutdown uh, pairing role with Chris Tanev.
0: No, and, and and that shutdown role has been very effective. And if you look at just the expected goals five on five with Hughes on the ice and without Hughes on the ice, it's clear when Hughes is on the ice, Vancouver they're you know they're getting more scoring chances in those right areas compared to when he's off the ice. So you so you can't deny just his impact and what he's been able to do. And I just think that each game is just, he just getting more and more experience and it's just going to help him down the road. Absolutely. And the thing about Hughes is
1: as a character, he's, the one thing that's special about him is he is unflappable. He does not feel any pressure whatsoever. It doesn't matter what the stage is. He's going to play his game. He's going to take his chances. And I love his ability to, rebound after he makes a mistake uh, the rare time when he might turn a puck over or make an ill-timed pinch it doesn't rattle him it doesn't Hughes is always operating at 100 percent confidence it seems and he's never afraid to make a move and I mean I just look back at the first shift he had um, as an NHL or at the tail end of the 2018-19 season after signing out of the University of Michigan in a game against the LA Kings Uh, first retrieval back and he's got two four checkers pressuring him behind the net. And instead of making the simple DDD pass to his defense partner, Luke Shen at the time, he backhand sauced uh, a pass over the four checker stick to Adam Gaudet on the wing. So the club could actually lead uh, a control breakout. And that is, I think that personifies the type of character Hughes is and why when we make the transition from the regular season to the playoffs, it doesn't matter for Hughes because it's just the same thing. Uh, He just, he's never too high or low. And and really it's that emotional um, maturity that he has that, that allows him to uh, utilize
0: his talent to the best of its ability. What do you think the ceiling of this team is Harman this year, because obviously it's such a unique circumstance, you know, the pandemic, the bubble, but it sort of reminds me a bit of what the Leafs did a few years back when they faced Washington Capitals in that first round series, where it's a bunch of young guys. It's their first time in the playoff spotlight, but they're showing that they're fearless and they don't care about being the underdog and they're just embracing that role and, and really, it's showing in in, in their results. I think that's a perfect comparable. And uh, I actually wrote a story uh, a
1: couple weeks ago now about exactly what you mentioned, the Canucks embracing that underdog mentality. I mean, uh, again, going back to the start of the regular season, the consensus view was that Vancouver was unlikely to be a playoff team. And I think in, internally the organization top to bottom knew about that narrative and, I don't necessarily think that there was a belief of, uh, you know, we want to prove people wrong and, 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 they, and they used it as fuel to motivate themselves. But I think there was a sentiment of, we want to show the league what we're capable of. And that's exactly what they've done to date. And uh, when I look at their chances against St. Louis, if, if the first three games are any indication, uh, they've got an excellent shot at winning this whole thing. And, and you never know what confidence can do team particularly when you've got uh Jacob Markstrom finding he's been the backbone of the team in the regular season um that trend is that form is carrying over i mean game 3 the canucks after a couple of strong opening performances they kind of struggled at 5 on 5 they they had a real tough time they were they were up against it and uh markstrom really kept them in they were they ended up being one shot away in ot and, and so uh when you combine all of those factors i mean I don't know. I mean, oh, again, a lot of it's going to depend on if they do advance, who they end up playing against because Vegas and Colorado, I think are going to be um, like the difficulty scale is going to ramp up there stylistically because of, as I mentioned, Vancouver's um, play style and, and sort of how Colorado and Vegas would line up with, uh, with the Canucks' strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but you can't, you, I, I think that you've reached a point where you can't underestimate what this group can accomplish. And, Um, we could be witnessing the start of a little bit of a Cinderella run for we'll see how
0: it goes well hey there hasn't been a Canadian team to make the Stanley Cup final since since 2011 in the Vancouver Canucks and one do have not won the cup since 93 so you know it would be very uh, interesting if if that were the case and it would be a really cool storyline if if Vancouver were to do it but Harmon, I want to shift gears and talk about your career because you're someone that's you know done a lot for 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 such a young person as you are in this industry already. I'm just curious, what got you into wanting to pursue a career in sports media? Uh, sorry, can you just repeat that question? The audio
1: kind of cut off. Yeah, no worries.
0: It, what got you into wanting to pursue a career in in sports media i i hockey was just a huge passion of
1: mine as a fan growing up um and at some point i just figured that i i i always kind of wanted to like i'd have strong opinions about things that i'd see on the ice and um i remember initially when vancouver uh was coming out of of the glory days of their 2011 years and you could sense that you were entering maybe the twilight of uh of of this core um i i was pretty strong in my belief that i thought the canucks needed to embrace a rebuild instead of uh, instead of trying to retool things and um and try and make one last uh valiant kick at the can and um i think just from that point on i again, I just wanted to share my opinions. And, and that's how I started using Twitter. Um, and then the way Twitter is, you're, you're able to grow a following. And uh, from there, that's just writing was an extension of that. And that's kind of kind of how I started to get going. And I never really thought of it as a potential career opportunity at the beginning. Um, I just wanted to have certain thoughts and, and feelings off uh, off my chest. And Um, Just to see it expand this much and and this quickly, I couldn't have imagined this coming
0: to fruition in in my wildest dreams. And I think it's interesting, too, because I think, you know, tracking your career and so many other young hockey writers, it's also sort of the growth of of analytics in hockey. And I think the, the audience now compared to, let's say, 2010, 2011 is a lot more willing to embrace those, those topics, particularly in, in, in written pieces, certainly at the athletic, I think what, you know, you and so many other young hockey writers have done is really integrate and humanize the analytics and the statistics in your articles. Do you, have you noticed that as well, that, that, that you're following that your audience is more has more of an appetite for analytics in your hockey analysis definitely and i think that speaks
1: uh volumes to again just kind of the rapid progression and um embracement of analytics, uh, the type of value it holds as another tool to help uh in the evaluation and in analysis process and Uh, I wrote a piece just uh, a week ago and I had a ton of fun doing it where um, I had a 45 minute chat with Travis green about his use of analytics and and you can see it league wide where teams internally uh, all of them use data to some extent or another. And I think you're, you're just sort of seeing that trickle down to the public sphere uh, where people are recognizing just the value it can hold as an objective layer Uh, to your analysis. And, and I think just think back to my origins and why I became interested in in using um, data initially is because I would watch these games. And uh, I remember one of my first beliefs was looking back at Chris Tanev as this defensive defenseman and thinking to myself, how do like, I watch him play every night and the way he's able to block shots and take away passing lanes, defend the rush, Uh, move the puck he's just an excellent two-way defenseman but the fact that he doesn't put up a ton of points you people around the league that don't get to watch him they don't get to appreciate his value and I thought to myself how how do I go about explaining this to someone that doesn't watch Tanev on a day-to-day basis and that's where analytics came and I could say well when Tanev's on the ice the Canucks allow very few high danger chances they permit very few shots they're out shooting and out chancing their teams and it was just it clicked for me there that this is a way to um, evaluate players that we haven't been able to do before and just that element of being able to quantify certain elements of hockey um, it appealed to me and I think as as especially diehard fans um, they want to learn more they, they want to do more research they want to understand their players the the, the teams they support even better um, they have an
0: appetite to learn more too and, and I think it's just creating a positive feedback loop that way so how do you become the fan of hockey the Vancouver Canucks to then now covering the team for the athletic and, and do you think that have you lost a bit of that fandom in terms of covering the team, knowing that you have to now sort of be a little bit more objective than compared to your fandom days? Absolutely. Uh,
1: I I remember I've I've talked to a few of the uh, other media members from Vancouver that are in in a similar situation, and and they would tell me that working in media kind of kill does kill the fandom, and I I think I've definitely experienced. <laughs> Um, a lot of that myself obviously from uh, a standpoint of wanting to see uh, the city uh, have something to cheer for I I want the team to do well because of that but um, as far as my personal feelings I uh, I definitely would say that it's killed the the fan in me Um, but it it doesn't take away from how much I enjoy watching hockey and um, as far as the transition to I guess sort of the professional side of things, it was just consistent blogging and, and the fact that I, I think I was able to embed analytics. Um, just I, I was fortunate too with the timing and, and lucky in that sense because there seemed to be a bit of a void, um, at least locally here. Connects Army was uh, was a site that was excuse me really pioneered uh, the use of data and numbers, and you saw a number of those writers sort of moved to work for NHL teams or, or other positions and kind of move up the ranks. And um, there was a little bit of a void in the Vancouver market. And so I think I was just able to fill uh, a niche that there was uh, an appetite for. And, and because of that, I was able to grow a following and um, uh, with, uh, with help from a lot of people along the way, I, I was able to um, kind of continue, continue um,
0: and get to the stage that I'm at today. And I think what's so great about the athletic is, especially in the NHL vertical. I've had you know the chance to have Scott oh, Burnside, Burnside on the show, and, and and some other writers. And it's just to me what's amazing about NHL is, you know, you're working alongside Pierre lebron Scott Burnside, people who've been in the industry for a long time, but then it's given opportunities to people like yourself and Scott Wheeler in Ontario and Haley Salvian and so many others to get, you know, their, their chance in the industry. So I think it's a really nice balance to have beyond as well as the experience covering the sport of hockey. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned just having the
1: veteran writers to kind of lean on. I remember when I was about to cover my first training camp. And for me, obviously, I haven't gone to journalism school. I I, I did an internship for uh, a company here just for a month, but that's about all the experience I had as a traditional reporter. And uh, obviously, it was a bit of a daunting sort of leap to make that transition full time. And just to be able to, again, ahead of my first training camp, I remember Michael Russo, uh, being able to call him up and, and learning so much from him and my colleague Thomas Drantz, who um, I really look up to, and, and just there are so many different people that I can um, I can lean on at the Athletic, ask for advice, um, and again having that type of platform where you have this unique vertical with uh, 30, 40, 50 writers um, uh, covering the covering the NHL, um, and each one of them the the best on their local beat. I mean, it's it, it's an absolute privilege to have that type of knowledge base, and uh, and there's no question that I've learned so much from them, and um, I've picked up so many tips and tricks, and and it's helped me succeed and and uh, do well in the industry
0: thus far. Last question for you, Armin, and and I ask this to all of my guests, and. You sort of alluded to it in your previous answer, just about your your path here, and I think with, with all my guests, what's so unique is everyone has a different path to get into this industry. You could go the journalism school route, you could do your route and do the blogging, but you end up in the same place. But I'm just curious for you in talking to younger writers and journalists. What advice would you give them once they're starting out to get to the point? Where you're at, and and how important is just the hard work and the perseverance in, in getting to the place where you want to get to
1: No question. you nail it. I think as far as my biggest piece of advice, it'd be um, find a niche um, and become the best at your niche, right like that's that's the biggest thing you've got to look at. Um, the other writers in in the market that you're trying to cover. And, and you've got to realize what each reporter is sort of uh, like, you got to look at the coverage whole wide around. So say in Vancouver, and you've got to ask yourself, what can I do? What aspect, whether maybe it's analytics, whether it's telling the human element stories, whether it's uh, video breakdowns, Like, what can you offer that maybe um, isn't as readily available in the mainstream media coverage? And once you find that niche, uh, again, work on your craft, become the best at it. It took me a ton of time to Uh, become as sort of well-versed with analytics as I am today Uh, and as you mentioned with the hard work and perseverance I obviously was uh, lucky in terms of I got my break uh, pretty quickly within a couple years of of being of consistently putting the time in but there are moments where you wonder when that break is going to come and uh, from my perspective I I'd be writing a lot of these articles at 2, 3 a.m. after finishing a university class. So um, you do need to have that. And I mean, I look at someone like J.D. Burke, who is now the editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects. He was blogging for six, seven, eight years before he had his break. And uh, so I think the biggest thing is beyond just finding your niche, you've got to be legitimately passionate about uh, sports media. And it's got to be something that you enjoy doing. I know for myself, even if I didn't have a career in it, that I'd still be on Twitter, that I'd still be writing things here and there. So uh, you really do need that, that passion because it is so difficult to break into the industry. And um, you do need to work at it and, and, and chip away hard to uh, finally kind of carve path uh,
0: in, in sports media. Harmon Dial, he's the Vancouver Canucks writer for The Athletic. Harmon, thanks so much for joining me today on the Wii Sports Chronicles and all the best to you the rest of the playoffs. Hope it's a long run for you.
1: Thanks for having me, Lucas.